Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. I am Wes, modern mythology enthusiast and defender of the realm of toy collecting. This is Andy, my fearless friend. Fabulous secrets were revealed to me the day I powered up my dynamic mic and said, Welcome to Fandom Power! Andy became the mighty producer Andrew Daw, and I became host Wes, the newest pop culture podcaster on the interwebs. Only two others shared this secret, friend of the show and regular co-host Hank McLaughlin, and my lovely wife Kimberly. Together, we defend the realms of pop culture from the evil forces of toxic fandom. Hey guys, what's up? It's uh, Wes and Andy back for another episode of Fandom Power. This time we are talking about the uh, up-and-coming Masters of the Universe uh, live-action film that uh, is scheduled to, uh, well, tentatively scheduled to get underway uh, sometime next year in uh, 2023. Now, for those of you who have been following sort of the development of this film, uh, it's been in the works for quite some time yes at least 2007 uh when warner brothers still held the uh the license to, the film rights to that so um let's get started here what we're going to do we're going to run through a little bit of a timeline just to get everybody up to speed here on uh, where the film is at and uh where it's uh, might be going so uh let's do that once we're done stick with us because we got a special guest today we do have a special guest do stay tuned. We're uh, talking once again with uh, Spectre Creative Scott Toy Guru Nightlick, who, as you may or may not know, has maybe written a, a Masters of the Universe script. And uh, we'll have a chance to talk with Scott about that a little bit later. So let's dip into the timeline and kind of bring you up to speed on uh, where the, the status of the movie is at. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's do this. All right. On uh, the 1st of uh, September 2009, Sony Films acquires the rights the live action film rights to uh, masters of the universe from uh, Warner brothers in uh, July of uh, 2012. Sony then announces uh, that a uh, masters of the universe film with John M Chu at the helm is uh, set to go into production. Of course, John, uh, John M Chu was the director of GI Joe retaliation and crazy rich Asians. Fast forward to uh, the uh, October, 2013 and, and uh, John Chu Exits the production with no explanation, although it is likely for uh, other film commitments. We have a three-year gap, and then later in January 2016, McG is uh, set to be in talks uh, to direct the film. McG, of course, was the uh, director of uh, Charlie's Angels, and more recently, the uh, Terminator Salvation. All right, later that year in June, actor Kellen Lutz 
uh, from uh, Twilight and the Expendables 3. Also, the Legend of Hercules tweets out that he has a meeting with Mick G about uh, taking the role of He-Man. April 26th, uh, 2017, uh, nearly a year later, Sony announces that uh, December 18th, 2019 will be the release date for uh, Masters of the Universe. Then on uh, April 27th, 2017, Entertainment Weekly reports that Mick G is out and David S. Goyer of the uh, Blade Trilogy and the Dark Knight Trilogy is now writing a new script. All right, by November that same year, Goyer is reportedly in talks to direct the film as well. But by uh, February of 2018, Variety reports that uh, David Goyer has passed on directing duties uh, because of other commitments, but will stay on as an executive producer as well as a screenwriter as the studio was very happy about uh, the script that he submitted. Speaking to The Hollywood Reporter in uh, 2021, Goyer had this to say about his experience on the film. Uh, What I liked most about it was that it was mostly about a friendship between He-Man and Battle Cat. The idea was there had always been He-Man and different recipients of the Sword of Power, and that Battle Cat had always served at their side. This was a new He-Man that Battle Cat and many people didn't think was worthy of the sword. So it was a story of the character earning the sword, but more importantly, earning the friendship of Battle Cat, who just thought this guy was a lightweight. I really liked it. I thought it was a fun story. There was a lot of humor in it, and it creeps up on you because Battle Cat sort of grudgingly accepts him, and it's Battle Cat's acceptance of He-Man that gives this version of the story heart. April uh, 2018, Variety reports that Aaron and Adam Nee are attached to direct. Now, Aaron and Adam Nee were uh, directors of some smaller films, The Last Romantic, Band of Robbers, and more recently, the uh, out just now, uh, The Lost City with Channing Tatum and, um, oh my Lord, Sandra Bullock, that's her name. <laughs> All right. In January of uh, 2019, Deadline reports that uh, Matt Holloway and Art Markham will rewrite a new draft. Now, that's uh, the the writing team that brought us uh, Iron Man, Punisher, Warzone, and the still in theaters uh, Uncharted with Tom Holland. April 29th, 2019, actor uh, Noah Centineo uh, goes on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and confirms that he is going to be playing the role of He-Man. And it sounded like this. Dude, this is a giant. You're doing uh, big movies. Uh, is this a true rumor? I heard that you might be. Are you playing He-Man? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. I, I have an affinity for being in my underwear. I don't know what it is. I, I just love, love dude. <laughs> He-Man is uh is one of my favorites. I grew up with all those toys. Wow. I was probably too old to be playing with them, but I was still. <laughs> I still was. That's gonna be giant. Congratulations thank on you, that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. It's um, quite an opportunity. October 2019, rumors are swirling that Sony will sell the film rights to Netflix. And by January 2020, Masters of the Universe is removed from the Sony release calendar. On April 8th, 2021, Sony strikes a comprehensive first look deal with Netflix, which will set up the streaming service with a five-year window to the distribution rights of uh, Sony's theatrical releases in the United States beginning in 2022. April 29th, 2021, an agent for Noah Centineo announces that uh, Noah has left the project. No reason is given for his departure, but speculation would say that uh, he left because he was cast 
as Adam Smasher in the upcoming Black Adam for uh, DC and Warner Brothers. Filming on Black Adam, uh, coincidentally, actually started back in April, uh, April 2021, right around the same time that uh, uh, shortly after he'd made his uh, Motu announcement. All right. Then in uh, in the summer of 2021, there were uh, rumors from uh, Giant Freaking Robot. And I hate to cite Giant Freaking Robot as a, as a uh, source because they're awful. But for as many times as they are uh, way off base, they do have a few times where they have kind of scooped the a story uh they reassert that the film is at netflix now and that uh, netflix moved through multiple scripts before settling on the uh, the right idea for masters of the universe adding that uh, the new story for their take will be better developing prince adam's motivations and personal connections to skeletor the ultimate bad guy for he-man it's also going to do more to develop the relationship between prince adam and tila giving a more uh, rich romantic subplot than we've seen for our main character in the past so pretty much what we got out of uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation <laughs> in a roundabout kind of way. On December 15th, uh, 2021, Production Weekly uh, shows a listing for Masters of the Universe suggesting that the production is still on. The listing reads, In a distant and mystical land, wimpy Prince Adam leads the life of royalty. Unknown to all but a few close friends and allies, Prince Adam is actually a hero, the mighty He-Man. Together with his friends, such as Tila, her father, a man-at-arms, mysterious Orko, and his mighty friend, horse substitute Battlecat, He-Man battles the evil Skeletor and his minions for control of the world, and more importantly for the control, power, and honor of Skull, the mysterious castle from which He-Man derives his powers. And if that doesn't sound like an episode of the Filmation Show, then I don't know what does. January 28th of this year, 2022, multiple outlets report that Netflix, yes, has officially acquired the rights from Sony, finally confirming the rumors that have been swirling since April of uh, 2021, but Sony will keep the film rights in China. That same day, it's reported that the film will be based on a new script written by the Knee Brothers and David Callaham. David Callaham, who brought us Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, as well as Wonder Woman 1984. And Kyle Allen, uh, who starred in uh, 2021's West Side Story, as well as the American Horror Story, will now play He-Man. In March of this year, so just a few days ago, even as we're making this recording, the Knee Brothers are out making the rounds, promoting their new movie, The Lost City, and everybody is asking them about their involvement with uh, Masters of the Universe. Here's part of what they had to say on the Deadline podcast earlier this month. Well, you, you know, you said it with the fun. I mean, that's that's kind of the big way in is that for us, it's like you can't do Masters without it being fun and colorful. And like it can be big and have big stakes and be a big, you know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor Ragnarok style movie. But like those movies as well, it has to be able to make fun of itself and be funny because there's just, you know, you can't have Mechanic and Ram Man and, you know, those guys without being able to laugh. Is She-Ra in the movie? I cannot tell you that. <laughs> and any more castings outside of He-Man? Um, no, nothing nothing to report just yet. Well, the Knee Brothers went on to further say that the film is a, a big process, uh, process that's now going to take over their lives and it's going to be a lot of fun. They've hinted that it will likely uh, they'll likely roll cameras sometime next year in 2023 with a tentative 2024 release date. Now, speaking with uh, Variety, they they actually had uh, more to say about Kyle Allen. Uh, they said he has such incredible emotional vulnerability. 
He's just an amazing dramatic actor, but he's funny like Michael J. Fox. Uh, like he has this special thing, this energy that's uh, very rare in an actor. Then you add on top of that, he's trained in like all forms of martial arts. He's a swordsman, does parkour. He can do everything. So the amount of Jackie Chan style crazy stuff uh, we're going to be able to do in this movie is going to blow people away. Yeah, so there you have it, guys. That is a, a, a bit of a look sort of at the development process of where the film has uh, been over the last few years some major gaps in there no doubt i mean covid19 just coincidentally and conveniently uh also played a role in that i'm sure uh certainly installing out anything getting started but uh yeah so by all accounts it looks like things are moving forward we just had uh two new animated series over at netflix uh with masters of the universe revelation and uh the new he-man and the masters of the universe which are really kind of uh, both in their own rights are are pretty good. Uh, they're certainly entertaining. Probably have helped to boost some of the brand awareness. But yeah, that's where we're at with that. So uh, what do you think, Andy? Is it time to uh, welcome our special guest? <laughs> I think so. All right. Well, then let's get on with that. And uh, all right. Once again, uh, welcome back, Scott. So happy to have you back here on the show with us here at Fandom Power. I know it's been a while since we've uh, had a chance to chat. And I know we had some difficulty going back and forth with uh, email, but that's been all sorted out now. And here we are really excited to talk about, uh, I guess it's a bit of a follow-up conversation to the one we had uh, last year, but the same time was like March last year. We should just make it an annual thing while the holiday. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Last year we talked about uh, sort of the uh, development hell that the masters of the universe movie had sort of found itself in over the years. Uh, I mean, the thing's been around since at least 2007 uh, at Warner Brothers, but uh, Sony picked up the the rights in 2009, and it's just been announced in the last year that uh, Netflix has come on board, at least as the distributor. And uh, I wanted to sort of uh, revisit the conversation we had last year. Last year, you said that this is a $250 million movie and that Sony didn't have the, uh, the, the chutzpah to, to put the money up behind it. Has your opinion changed on that since last year? Well, honestly, I wouldn't call that um, as much as an opinion as more as just, and uh, I don't want to say fact, and it, and, sure, sure. And, and not to like re-edit re, uh, all of your words, and it, I, chutzpah is a perfectly legitimate Yiddish word for that, but, you know, it's more, when you're looking at it from a business standpoint, it's not as much right. like, am I that? Is it just, it doesn't add up. You know, no. like the, the cost to, you know, it's not like, am I willing to take a chance that Titanic might make money versus on paper? Like when you write right. all of it, doesn't, you know, and you present it to the head of a studio, they're going to be like, well, yeah, it's no sense. I fund this. Right. Interesting. We'd, uh, I had suggested last year that uh, at that time we hadn't seen masters of the universe revelation nor had we seen the new cgi kids show um they were sort of on the horizon now both of those have aired and uh by all rights i mean there was yes there was some fan uh pushback on revelation but i think overall both series have been enjoyable and i think have added uh to the brand it makes me wonder because I had suggested last year that maybe there was a chance that that the live action film might go over to one of the streamers. And now here we are a year later, and that is officially sort of the case of what's happening. You know, 
I think obviously there's people at Netflix that are huge He-Man fans, and that oh, there must helps. be, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I mean, I've I've met several of them. I know some of them personally. So, you know, yeah, I mean, anytime you've got an internal champion someplace, it's always going to help a project. It doesn't take away, yeah, from how it is. But putting it on, if it's on Netflix, not theatrical, you no longer have to worry about that half of mill or quarter of a million dollar advertising campaign to convince middle America who He-Man is. Um, So, I mean, it definitely makes it more affordable for a, you know, like a a streaming service. But again, I'm trying to think of another example. I can't think of another streaming service funded. I mean, streaming services are obviously funding a lot more movies these days. They they certainly are now. Yeah. Yeah. Action or comic. I don't know. I can't think outside of like Amazon's Lord of the Rings adventure, for lack of a better word, uh, that of a, of a streaming service funding a project that's fantasy based. Only yeah, yeah. creating Pandora, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not just shooting Adam Sandler on Nylon for you know a month. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, which is a lot easier than. Yeah, I mean, you've got to create an entire alien planet with monsters and creatures and special effects. And right, right, right. It's, it's always been about the bottom line. It, th- this movie has always been just about the bottom line and how, you know, just how expensive it would be to make it look the way we want. And animation is obviously a, a whole other kit and caboodle because you could draw or computer generate, you know, anything you want. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, there's no live element. I wonder, you know, I mean, we've seen now with shows like uh, with the, over at Disney Plus, like The Mandalorian and now The Book of Boba Fett and the upcoming Obi-Wan. I can't think of the what the, the volume. I, there's another word for it. But uh, the idea of these front projected environments that that have sort of revolutionized the, the way that they can tell stories on a on a smaller budget. John Favreau has gone out and said that, you know, other studios had been sort of experimenting with this technology, but Lucasfilm is the first company to put it together in a practical way. And I kind of wonder if that technology, I'm sure it will be, but, you know, that technology could be probably fairly useful to, to maybe recreate or to create the illusion and the fantasy of the Eternia that we all kind of want. Absolutely, and, you know, and, we, and that didn't exist even almost a year ago when we spoke last. I mean, I guess right. Mandalorian was being, it wasn't spoken about as much. And um, no, hundred percent. But just you know, I'm devil's advocate because I know that you know you want to get the best info out there. Of course. So keep in mind with something like Mandalorian, um, you know, or Book of Boba Fett. One, the environments they were creating weren't that. Like, yes, there were some CGI monsters that showed up, and they basically blew their yeah. entire budget on, like, those moments. <laughs> I'm um, looking at you, Rancor. Really, yeah, I mean, most of it was sand and leaves. You know, it wasn't That's like true, yeah. that complicated. Also, Star Wars is way more recognizable as a brand. than Man- I mean, Masters There's, definitely yeah. got a good, you know, good shot in the arm with the, with the current uh, animated series. That helps a lot. But it's nowhere even close. And well, the fact that it's at retail now is probably the best thing that's helping because it's billboarding it constantly. The um, number of form factors at retail right now, like I mean, you've said it many times, and and I mean, Andy and I were just out yesterday doing some retail therapy, if you will, 
And I couldn't believe the number of, of form factors that we saw just in one store. So, yeah. Mattel's been able to carve out four feet of space at Target, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. I mean, that's not easy yeah. to do. But, and they've done that very cleverly by playing the long game, you know, in slowly right. introducing form factors with the idea that, hey, even if one fails, we're going to pop in another one with the idea that eventually there's going to be enough out there that we can claim you know, a good section of, of space. So right, good right. for them. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Now, speaking about Mattel, let's, let's revisit sort of the, 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 um, the licensing thing, because there's that now I, I couldn't find anything on this and maybe things have changed, but the last time we spoke masters, uh, was up for, uh, you know, up for purchase as of 2023, or at least in jeopardy of perhaps leaving Mattel, but it doesn't seem like that's really the case if they're full speed ahead on a on a feature film that is not even scheduled to begin production until sometime next year. Well, so so here's the deal with that. So the feature film has never been something Mattel has been directly working on. It's always been the way the, the rights got carved up right. is the live action rights were separated from the animation and toy rights. Okay. So the live action rights were Warner Brothers, then with Sony, and now perhaps with, with Netflix. That is completely unrelated to what's going on with the toy rights and the animated rights. Um, Interestingly, though, I, just the, uh, yeah, yeah. As, a, as a counterpoint to that, there is a reference to Mattel, uh, Mattel Films being uh, listed as one of the, the production companies on this. For the Netflix show. Yeah. Or the Netflix proposed movie. Yeah, yes. So that's Yes, so that's kind of like Mattel's. Mattel's involved, but they don't get like final say. No, that makes course, sense. Okay. I mean, it does. Yeah, I mean, for, Mattel for sure it does. Going back to Warner Brothers, they were showing them. Yeah, but some of it was a you know a curtain. Some of it, you know, but then there's not like. But again, you know, things could have absolutely changed since I've been there. It's been only, right, right, you know, seven eight years. But when yeah. I left. The rights were reverting to Universal in 2023. We Mattel yeah. tried to buy them back. Universal said, um, and the and the live action was stalled out at Sony. That was the last. I know that was when I left. So, who knows what's happened since then? I can only report <laughs> on what I know. Andy, you had brought up a point. We were talking yesterday that uh, Universal had just signed a big deal with Netflix. I think so. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's maybe similar to the the first pass or the first. Um, the first look deal that Sony just signed with them. Uh, who knows? I mean, if that's the case, then that may actually give the film uh, production, the security it needs to move forward in a meaningful way and not, not continue to languish in uh, what's the term development hell as it's been for, well, at least 2007. It'd be great. I'd love to see it. I, I absolutely agree with you. I've been, I mean, I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> Uh, well, your time at Mattel, when you were the brand manager uh, for Masters, you had said last year that uh, you had screened several scripts uh, over your time there. Are you able to talk about any of those? Um, I don't know. Is the short? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's I, a I fair answer. About I think in you know there were a lot of um, you know there were some that were rewrites, took it in completely different directions. Right, um, right. You know. Honestly, it's been so long since I've read any of them that to be able to say what happened, like when you wrote like 10 scripts all about the same 
subject right. to blend and it's hard to remember like wait what happened in one of them you know for like one of them had beast men as the enemy the other one had time travel but i don't remember which oh, okay which. i mean they, they've back with people think they've been takes um you know but they've kind of i think the universal thread is always remaking the brand um in sort of the director or writer's vision and this is kind right. of one of the, the things that always sort of bothers me with comic book and fantasy movies in general when you're adapting a book like say tale of two cities or um pride and prejudice or you know anything right like you in english high school yeah well with it you're going to just basically tell the same story and it feels like whenever they make a comic book movie or a fantasy movie the studio writers director feel like they have to change the story and make it their own i'm like what was wrong with the original story why can't you treat this like fine literature and just adapt yeah. the existing story there's always this argument and, and maybe it's maybe it's not so pervasive now but the yeah we've got to make a movie that's accessible to the general movie going audience which i don't necessarily buy into because that's not who you're making it for <laughs> but again so, you did say it is about the bottom well, line that that's actually that i think a lot of toy collectors have when they go into the aisle and they see you know, Master of Earth series or Marvel Legends hanging on the pegs. Sure. Like, oh, that's for me. And it's sort of that same fallacy is that the majority of moviegoers and the majority of toy buyers are not the us's of the world. And right. Like we will, we will create opening weekend numbers for them. Yeah. But beyond that, it's got it's the general. And yeah, I guess that's, that's true. Why, yeah. Like, well, well, I feel you don't need to reinvent. Yeah, the He-Man story. Having you know, like if you look at uh, the first X-Men movie, right? Yes. The Brian Singer film. Yeah. Um, they used Marine in that movie to bring the audience into the X-Men world. Like, yep. he was the, he represented the audience. He bring, oh, there's mutants and there's, there's a, a mansion and a school and, you know, all, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So when I, that that's actually the, the take that I did on the He-Man movie. That's specifically why I took that route was finding a character that would be the audience that could bring them into this crazy foreign world because for us, right. so, so yeah, so, you know, so the, that's how the mass public would see this as like, Oh, that's a giant bee guy and a muscular dude running around in furry underwear. But to us, right. it's often He-Man. And of that's course it is, where yeah. that, that's that gap that we tend to overlook. So invested in the story, we forget that 90% of the people going to see this movie would have no idea who either of these characters are. That's <laughs> so true, man. I I laugh because we I you've said it a few times on uh, on your channel about you know specifically where the toys are concerned about how kids coming to the brand later on you know they could find hordes of buzz off but they couldn't get He Man and I laugh because yesterday when we were out the one store we were in that's all they had was the the origins buzz off and it just I instantly thought of you and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm um, agreeing. I, you know, same thing, yeah. Now, for some, I know for your viewers uh, are well aware of this already, but I know uh, for our viewers, there maybe people don't realize this, but you wrote a treatment and several pages of script for your own uh, film as a pitch. Any chance you can sort of talk about that uh, just for for the sake of our viewers? Yeah, I mean, that that I can completely talk about, especially because it's out <laughs> there in the public. Uh, it's not. Yeah. I didn't write that while I was absolutely not something alone. 
Um, and it was basically after reading so many scripts and so many venting the franchise. Um, yeah, I was really like, look, this is if we were going to make a major live action He-Man movie, here is my take on it. Here's how I would do it. But I did it very much from an approach of, OK, we've got to have there's got to be some fan service in there. Like he sure. standing on the jawbridge holding up the sword at the transformation. Yes. But yeah, so um, I was saying, uh, similar to the the original X Men Brian Singer film from what was that ninety nine ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, they used Wolverine as a way of bringing the audience into the X Men world. That's right. Yeah. Oh, there's you know it's not just that there's other mutants, but there's a whole school and they have a blackbird and they have training rooms and you know a cheese buffet and all of that. And so Wolverine got to experience all of that for the audience. So in the treatment that I wrote, it was the same thing with Marlena that, and especially since in the story, she's from Earth. So she's oh, right. the audience and bringing the audience to Eternia. Um, and, you know, and that, you know, that way, this strange world, there was some kind of anchor to hold on to. Right. Thrown into this, this craziness. And that was, that was what her character represented. Right, right. And what a great gateway character, too. I mean, having that as she is from Earth, it just makes perfect sense to do that, as opposed to what they did in the 87 movie, and then bring those characters to Earth, which definitely was a cost-saving measure. <laughs> and that's what it was, exactly. That's not yeah. what it really was, but once they looked at exactly the same thing, once they looked at the budget, they're like, crap, we can't shoot on Eternia. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what the new film is going through. Yeah, I can only imagine. And that's where I kind of, I, that's where I wonder if, you know, they'll, if Netflix will, you know, kind of replicate that technology that they're using at Lucasfilm, if that will, uh, if that'll play a role. Who knows? I don't want to take up like a whole bunch of time. So maybe, do you have time to to hang out and, and play our little game with us? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't have a super hard cutoff at nine. You can go a little bit over. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I just want to be respectful of that and not, not abuse you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay all right so one of the things that we like to do here on our uh, on the show and we've done this a couple of times is uh we've run some uh fantasy casting calls and uh you know with the the prospect of the live action film sort of you know on the i don't want to say the foreseeable future but it, you know on paper at least it's the foreseeable future now seems like a good time to put our two cents in and fantasy cast our very own version of masters of the universe. And, uh, I took the Liberty. I sent over a short little cast list last week to you to have a look over. And what we'll do is we'll go around sort of the three of us here, uh, myself, Andy and, and you, Scott, and we'll, we'll put our choices out there for each of the characters that we've got on the list. And we'll see if we have any uh, any matches or any weird choices. Uh, certainly, I, I've got a few that'll probably <laughs> that'll probably be worth a laugh. So yeah, first up on the list, we want to talk about uh, if you, if we're going to make a Masters of the Universe movie, we got to have our principal hero. Of course, that's He Man. And uh, yeah, Andy, I don't know. Do you want to go first? I can go first. Or should we uh, get Scott to go first as our guest? As our guest, yeah. Like, go ahead. Put the pressure on Scott. Go first, Scott. <laughs> The thing is, and I think with, with the movie holistically, I know you're like waiting for me to say, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. <laughs> um, I honestly think that the property itself is kind of the star and going with unknowns is a wild oh. because that way it's not about 
the actor and actress, you, you really you're going to see a He-Man movie. I mean, they've done this successfully with a lot of franchises, and like, well, I mean, look at Avatar. You know, yes, you know, like the, the lead was, you know, that was like almost practically his first starring role. So right, right, you're, you're much. Uh, that's the approach that I would take is. is looking at the property as the star and casting, you know, you're going to want to throw in like a couple, you know, your Sigourney Weavers, like with Avatar, there'll be some sure. characters showing up, especially in like sort of secondary roles. But for the leads, I would really go for unknowns. That's interesting. See, I didn't, oh man, now you've thrown me for a loop because I totally took the approach of like, I'm going to, if I was making this movie today and I had like unlimited budget, because that's what it is in a fantasy cast. And I can have whoever I want. I tried to cast the movie as if we were going to roll cameras tomorrow. So for me, anyway, where He-Man is concerned, I kind of split it up here. I mean, I don't think I don't think that He-Man and Prince Adam should be the same actor. I think they should take the Shazam route and they should have Adam as a, a much younger or smaller character that, you know, you can really appreciate the transformation. So uh, for He-Man, I'm going to go with the Chris and it's got to be Hemsworth. That being said, if you're going to have a, a Prince Adam, you can look at this a couple of ways. One, you know, you could cast Adam as uh, as Chris's younger brother, Liam, because they have a, a similar look about them. At the same time, if you want somebody who can play young, I can't think of a hotter young actor right now than Tom Holland as Prince Adam. So you so. basically want to go for Spider-Man and Thor, huh? <laughs> yeah, more or less. Or for those above a more literary merit. Heart of the Sea. Ah, Heart of the Sea. Yes, that is true. Every time I watch that movie, I'm like, it's Thor and Spider-Man on a whaling boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Andy, where are you at with uh, He-Man? Oddly enough, I landed on Chris Hemsworth, too. It's hard not to. Yep. One of the challenges of, of fantasy casting this movie, it's like, you know, you you run through all of the, like, who's a big up, jacked up guy that can act? <laughs> But, you know, and honestly, both of those, you know, Tom, Tom and, and Chris are, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And just to over, overlay on that, kind of go, you know, my, my thoughts about going with unknown. See, not that either one of them would be a bad choice, but now you're going to see a Chris Helmsworth film. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, if you will. I mean, he, like, he cared, like, that. <laughs> I'm joking about the Moby Dick movie, but, like, Nobody went to go see that movie except for me because they're a fan of Moby Dick. That's right. That movie because they're a fan of Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's literally, that's what you run into. Um, you know, are you going to see a Schwarzenegger movie or are you going to see a He-Man movie? That's a, a totally fair assessment. I guess, you know, the, there is a, there is something to be said for your star power draw. In which case, the rest of my list is just like a cavalcade of like, ooh, this is like icing on the cake. <laughs> that approach. I mean, I'm not knocking that at all. I, you know, and I think that, yeah, I totally agree with your, I mean, if you're going to go with a muscle-bound actor. Yeah. Sort of um, sniveling teen hero, you, those are the two best candidates. I did say this, though. Like, if, if I couldn't get Chris Hemsworth, I really thought... Alan Richson, who is uh, currently starring in the uh, the Amazon Prime uh, Jack Reacher series, wow, that guy. Uh, there's a lot the, to be found in him, and I think he would also make a suitable He Man. What do you think, Andy? Should we, should we move on to the next? Yeah, just move on. All right. So uh, next up, 
I do agree with your whole Bill Bixby route of having two actors. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, when when they did uh, Shazam uh, and casting, you know, uh, Zachary Levi as Shazam, and then and I can't think of the young fellow's name um, as uh, Billy Batson. It was just a. It was. I totally bought into it. I absolutely bought into it. Almost the same way as the. Uh, have you seen the Adam Project? No, uh, it's on my list of the Netflix one with Ryan Reynolds. The young kid that they have cast to be the young Adam it's uncanny the mannerisms and the 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 way that he carries himself that it's completely a young ryan reynolds that's awesome <laughs> it's fantastic and you should watch it just for that alone uh okay so next up on our list i mean uh he man wouldn't be complete without uh his men without the mentor character without his obi-wan and of course the the obi-wan to he man is uh duncan man at arms andy what do you think uh man at arms for my man at arms, I didn't go physique, but I did go like a gristled old voice that could be, you know, fatherly. Yes. But he could still kick your ass. <laughs> and I went with Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. I was going to be like the guy, I, the way you were describing that, I'm like, I'm picturing Big Lebowski, the, the end scene. There you go, Sam Elliott. That's an interesting choice. I went a, a completely different way. I mean, I wanted somebody who could embody the the physicality of man at arms. Now he doesn't. They don't all have to be jacked up, you know, uh, huge muscle bound guys, but they should have some presence. But again, I wanted people who can act, and uh, I kind of went. Maybe this is uh, maybe against. Well, maybe not against type for this guy, but for me, I think man at arms. I would cast Daniel Craig. Put a beard on him. Give him a little bit of a mustache. He's got a pretty good range. And uh, I think he could pull off fatherly quite well. And then revert to Bond and kick your butt. <laughs> what about Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton. Oh, that is a fantastic choice, too. Mind you, you could put Michael Keaton, you know, in anything and, and uh, it, it gets better. He's a fantastic villain in. Uh, yes. Uh, underrated villain in the uh, the rebooted Robocop, I think. All right, so yeah, that's uh, Man at Arms. Any other thoughts on Man at Arms, uh, Scott? Or are you still sticking with uh, nobody? Huh, you got Man at Arms. Not a nobody, but Michael you Keaton. Know, the, that's the kind of role that you could ground in someone like a Michael Keaton. Yeah, for sure you could, yeah. Sam Neill, where you have a known actor that's sort of... Because, yeah, they're, they're the mentor. They're, the, they're, they're, the, they're holding things together. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's more like He-Man and Tila, I would cast as unknown but then, like, you want somebody at, like Skeletor has got to be a really good actor because he's got to hold things together. Uh, totally agreed with that. I have an interesting uh, approach to how I cast him, but we'll get to that. Well, uh, we've just talked about Man at Arms, and I mean, Man at Arms, of course, uh, you know, with his stepdaughter Tila, you know, somebody who can who could credibly play that role. What do you think, Andy? Uh, for mine, I went with Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh, that's a good choice. She's got to be able to play the captain of the guard. Yep. And still have an emotional range to be vulnerable at the same time. Yeah, and her portrayal through the Hawkeye series just, I don't know, from start to finish, it makes you like the character more and more and more. So I think she could, you know, portray that in the Masters universe. Oh, that's very interesting. It's funny you say that because uh, I was page right out of the same book because I went with uh, Florence Pugh's older sister, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> I think her work on the Black Widow uh, as Black Widow, definitely she's got the physicality for it. Um, and you, you put her in red hair and it's a, it's a hit. True. What about um, uh, uh, Katie Sackhoff? 
I like Katie Sackoff. Uh, I mean, she's a firecracker. I loved her in Battlestar Galactica, so uh, that totally works for me. I would totally, uh, I would go with that as well. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on here. Where are we at now? Now, the, the, she did have red hair in the Mandalorian. That's true. Uh, let's round out the uh, the uh, triumvirate there. The uh, the triangle with Man at Arms, uh, Tila, and of course her mother, Duncan's love interest, the sorceress. The Sorceress of Grayskull. Andy, what have you got? Uh, for mine, I went with Angelina Jolie. Really? Yes. Now, she, did you base that on her performance in The Eternals? Uh, partly The Eternals, partly from, uh, what was it, uh, Tomb Raider. Okay. And a few other roles. I know she's got a range that, I don't know, doesn't really get showcased a lot. No, that's true. But, Mind you. Uh, she presents herself with like grace and elegance, which I think the Sorceress needs. I agree with that. That being said, <laughs> and at the risk of falling into that uh, pitfall or that hole, I dipped into the Marvel book one more time. Let and I'm Tilda Swinton. No, not Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton never made my, you know, didn't even uh, come up on my radar, but I really thought Michelle Pfeiffer as Hank's wife, as, uh, as um, Janet. Janet Van Dyne. I thought she was fantastic. She really, uh, to me, had that the motherly aspect down which is pretty good considering you know it's a superhero movie mm-hmm. um and i think she's great i think michelle pfeiffer is completely underrated like now that she's a you know an older actor maybe not showing up in as many productions anymore i think she'd make a fantastic sorceress yep no i could i would i i hate to say tilda swinton because like that's so typecasting now but <laughs> isn't it it works for me okay that's a fair <laughs> choice you know, magic leader and everything. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to stick with the magic theme because, you know, uh, as, as powerful as the sorceress is, what is a He-Man movie without your, your court jester? And we're, of course, we're talking about Orko. Well, that I don't was a 1987 movie then. <laughs> it would. I would hope that we have a more faithful uh, representation of Orko this time around and not, not supplant the don't get me wrong i mean the the gwildor character is pretty cool and i love billy barty so but i would hope that we get a much more faithful representation this time around well i mean that was that was again that was budget they wanted that was supposed to be orko yeah yeah and in that case what if billy did the voice i would be totally down for that because i i mean again i think billy barty uh everything that he's in he's just so good in yeah, I think Orko is going to be a voiceover CGI character. I agree with that. So I would, I mean, it would be so, it would definitely be, you know, like a nice fan service to have Billy do that. Or you, I mean, Andy Serkis could do it. Sure. I mean, you know, honestly, only Dark Hamill could do it. I mean, you've got to get somebody who's a good voiceover actor. Not, yes. Like there, there's this whole, ever since Aladdin, there's been this whole trend to just take, you know, funny actors and give them lead roles and things like Will Smith. Yep. Yeah. But that doesn't work. And voice, like, I remember um, Billy West, who do, who does a lot of. I mean, he, he people know him from Futurama. Yeah. Uh, you know, but he's very passionate about voice acting, and like, you'll talk to him. He's like, this whole trend of just giving Hollywood actors voiceover. It's like it's a skill set, voice acting, and not everyone can do it. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I've uh, I've watched several episodes of of Talking Tunes, Rob uh, Rob Paulson's show where he interviews uh, other voice talent. And I mean, they have a lot of these uh, actors have a, a similar sort of sentiment about voice acting. And it's like, well, you know, you call it voice acting, but the reality is it's acting. 
And, you know, Rob Paulson, uh, Kevin, Kevin Conroy, they all have that similar outlook. Like to be a good voice actor, you kind of have to be a good actor because you don't have the luxury of physicality and body language, but you still have to get that across in the vocal performance. And and some actors can't do that. No, no. It's, as you say, it is a skill set. What do you think, Andy? We're, we're talking Orco. What do you want to do with him? Uh, With my Orco, I went with Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, that's a good choice. Well, I can see that. I mean, he's got about, good range. About voice, we're not talking about. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris in, a, in an Orco costume running around. <laughs> that's interesting. I got a couple of people on my radar. I couldn't decide. Uh, I wanted the, the Orco character has to be able to be, has to be able to be tender at times, right? I mean, he has those moments where he can be super serious as we know, sort of the, the, the court jester buffoonery is a bit of a, a bit of a ruse to sort of, you know, disarm. Yeah. So I got two actors in mind and I, I kind of hold them on equal stature. One is Jack Black. And then the other one is Josh Gad, the voice of Olaf from Frozen. Hmm. I could, nope, I could, I could see that. I could see Josh Gad. Yeah, my wife came up with that one, so uh, uh, kudos to her. Thank you, honey. <laughs> that rounds out our uh, our heroic warriors. Let's uh, we'll move on and dip into the uh, to the evil warriors Sorry. now. Now, I guess you know at the top of the uh, the pantheon there. I mean, if you've got He Man on the on the good side, you've got the 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 eternal struggle between him and and the bad guy Skeletor. But just like He Man. You could separate this role into two people if you wanted to explore the Keldor origins. How did you approach it, Andy? Uh, I did not split them, but that's me. Uh, for both Keldor and Skeletor, I went with Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz? Oh, yes. yeah, that's a great choice. Well, I actually did split the two because I think that uh, Keldor, depending on who you're talking to, is kind of, you know... Uh, it helps to know who that person is to understand where he came from. So my, my Keldor would be Mark strong, who was uh, Sinestro in the green lantern movie. More recently he played Merlin in the Kingsman series. Fantastic actor. I think he would make a, he certainly has the look of Keldor. He'll need a wig of course, but that's okay. <laughs> and then uh, again, for, you know, moving ahead into Skeletor territory, you could, if you wanted to, you could body double Mark Strong as Skeletor, but I think, I think the face would would uh, serve better as maybe a performance capture piece. And of course, there is no better performance capture actor than Andy Serkis as Skeletor. And I'm actually not that off from you of the idea of yeah, I mean, Skeletor could be yeah, absolutely like some a lot of CGI. And if you're doing that, it opens up almost anyone doing the voiceover, right? It doesn't even have to be Andy Serkis doing the voice. Um, but I'd throw out not not that I know we're dipping so much in the Marvel, but what can I say? Marvel scoops up <laughs> um, Tom Hiddleston could Yeah. Um if you're doing a voiceover, um Corey Burton, who does Cad Bane. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would be creepy as Skeletor. Oh he would be creepy. <laughs> He's creepy as Cad Bane. Skeletor needs to have that confidence thing. If he sounds like whiny, no one's or you needy, but if but like cat the I mean, if you think about Cad Vane's voice, it's very much like I'm in charge. Like yeah. nobody's 
Nobody else, you know, give me any ideas here. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> That's a great choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Well, if He-Man's got his own uh, his own sorceress, then we know Skeletor is going to have one too. And of course, that is uh, Evil Lynn. And uh, Evil Lynn requires, uh, uh, you know, somebody who could also play a, a quasi-love interest. Where are you going to go with that one, Andy? Uh, actually, I dipped right back to Revelations. I want to see Lena Headey in there. It is really, really hard having seen Revelations not to pick Lena Headey. And I agree with you. If I had to pick somebody else, again, going back into the Marvel playbook, Kate, uh, no, was she in Marvel? She did something in Marvel, didn't she? Uh, Kate Blanchett? Sorry, Lord of the Rings. Kate yeah. Blanchett. Yes, Kate Blanchett, I think, could be, uh, be a, a decent evil Lynn. But yeah, it's really hard not to pick Lena Headey. Wasn't she Hela? Yes, yeah, she was. In, in Ragnarok. That's right, she was. Yep. Yeah, no, I could... Uh... I could see how, I mean, you know, same thing. Like <laughs> you've got someone, you've got your good guy, magic wielder and, uh, uh, uh Tila, and then bad guy in, in, uh, Hela. It's like, yeah, <laughs> typecast. <laughs> I think that's sort of the pitfall you, you sort of run into with this. All right. So well, the Swanson and, um, you know, we could see them like face off and have like a magic battle. You seriously? <laughs> awesome <laughs> all right and i mean every uh every evil uh evildoer must have the henchmen and muscle and of course there is no more bigger muscle uh, in the evil warriors than beast man andy where are you at with beast man what do you think uh, with beast man i went growly and i landed on gerard butler gerard butler yeah oh that's a good choice just based on his 300 performance like growly aggressive physical presence so it's not Mike Bannon. Uh, <laughs> interesting. I had a couple of different thoughts on that. I thought, you know, there has to be a physical presence because, I mean, Beast Man is is obviously the kind of the er the muscle of the of the the crew. So I, I went with a couple of things. First off, I went right to Jason Momoa. I mean, and not not to speak poorly of the man, but that his pronounced brow. I mean, his think of Cal Drogo in Game of Thrones and then just add some fur on that. And I think that is a he would make a very credible uh, beast man. Alternatively, if you want somebody who can who can fight Michael Jai White, hmm. I think he would either of those I'd be happy with. Spawn? Yeah, the spawn actor. Yeah. What about um, kind of working backwards from voice, but also fighting ability, either Vin Diesel or Dwayne Johnson? I really tried to stay away from Dwayne because I just didn't know if I'm really anxious to see what he does with Black Adam because some of my favorite Dwayne movies, like still to this day, the rundown, the action comedy, the rundown is by far my favorite film that he's ever done. Jungle Cruise is a close second, by the way, but I don't want him to get in there and ham it up. Even if the, you know, the, the role does kind of call for a little bit of ham. That's mm-hmm. hard though. I don't know. Definitely a star power though. Yes. And that's kind of where I would populate, yeah, like those secondary characters with the whole star power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to stick with the secondary characters, and we're gonna we're gonna move on to the uh, to to uh, I guess man at arms counterpart, and of course that's Triclops. Andy, what do you think for Triclops? Uh, for my Triclops, I dipped back into the Revelation pool again, and I did go with Henry Rollins. I actually thought about Henry Rollins too, and I'm like, nope, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to keep pulling. Yeah. 
he was great as triclops i just nah yeah, he's I'm, got the physical presence too, i agree though, right? with that yeah 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 and he can do i mean he's got range he does <laughs> i went a different direction i went somebody who's a little more lean but who who plays a who's played a pretty decent villain but who's also done you know some uh some starring roles i went frank grillo nice as my triclops he did a, a direct to home uh media movie it was on amazon last year can't even think of the name of it but he was really really good in it yeah frank grillo that's my triclops cool all right it might be weird but what about benedict cumberbatch oh like the that would be a tech villain yeah he would be like so like almost yeah like super smart super think of the role like when he played con that's in uh, star trek yeah yeah that, i'm totally with you on that that's a great choice oh man plus his portrayal of smog oh that's so true that's yeah yeah like evil intention well going. that's true it did play a dragon <laughs> all right and that brings us to our uh our last one and of course the the final choice on the uh on the docket for today we're talking uh, trap jaw arguably another uh muscle guy he's our cybernetic uh henchman what do you think andy uh for mine i went with tom hardy oh i tried to get tom hardy in on my list and i couldn't find a way to do it that's pretty good i figure with his work on venom on the dark knight and lawless like he's got enough range he's got the physical prowess for it right right and oh. he's got a little bit of comedy in there too for uh, those absolutely. necessary parts yeah oh well, yeah you can pull comedy off i went with a, a more uh blunt choice um and really just based on the other roles that this this person has had uh, i went with your other big wrestler and i put dave batista nice. in the role of trap jaw arguably he could play uh a cronus too yeah I mean, look at when he played uh, the Bond villain. I mean, I think his biggest line was a was a, a grunt. And I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw him in Dune recently, and he I thought he did okay in that. And I think it would lend itself well to uh, Cronus uh, slash Trapjaw. Yeah. So yeah, Dave Batista for Trapjaw. All right, here's a weird one. I know we've been picking on Marvel so much, but Mark Ruffio. Oh, that's an interesting choice too. I don't know where how I would approach that. Yeah, it would be different, but it would be way different. I I don't know. I think like it'd be interesting. I think he could pull it off. I don't know. This is the the thing too. It's like when you're casting a movie like this. It's like like I said before. Do you just go for big muscle bound guys, or do you go for people who can act? And I think when you're making a movie, the acting has to come first. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think with with motu we think of it so much as a all these characters being muscle but really he-man's the only one that's made of muscle i mean I know he's every, the only one that needs to be yeah while all the other figures were used the same body back in the day i think we've come far enough along in the brand that we realize that not everyone is meant to be a muscle character no you're absolutely right you know, even though they're toys i mean look at the original power of the force 2 you know super muscle luke skywalker figure well i mean and it doesn't that just speak to the time that we andy and i have spoken about that many times about that you know early 1990s uh you know jim lee kind of everybody's got super big muscles and, Rob and Liefeld. yeah pouches and wires pouches wires and muscles <laughs> yeah right it's like that that was a aesthetic of the time it sure was yeah when you're reimagining the brand, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. No, I agree with you on that for sure. Well, this was a lot of fun, Scott. I'm going to leave you with one more. And this one I, I'm throwing in just for you because 
if you if we were making your live action masters of the universe movie i would expect to see the mighty specter any uh <laughs> but i don't think i don't think i would have the uh maybe maybe he would show up in some weird cameo but i mean obviously if i was in charge of the universe of course i'd put him in there but he, of course not in my movie the one i wrote yes but i'll still cast him for you sure yeah yeah are you going first or am i going first well i was going to leave it for you i have it i do have a choice but again like because he's a masked character he could be anybody so you're it's the the oh do i recognize that voice or not well it's um Ryan Reynolds. I mean, Ryan. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's okay. That's good. I mean, he, no, because when he pulls off the mask at some point, it's good. I mean, that's the only way you could do it. That's right. I, <laughs> uh, and we'd all have the laugh together. That would be so good. I went a little bit uh, similar vein, certainly not with the same comedic uh, chops, but I, I went with Henry Cavill with uh, Superman himself thinking that you know if he if he never takes the mask off and it's just superman walking around because you know henry cavill can do subtle but he can also do overt physicality right so yeah i think he's a good choice well for mine i went more more direct i thought why not have you Scott? <laughs> there you go <laughs> well i can give you a, re- a million reasons why not to have me but i'll take <laughs> or if, if if it was just a guy in a mask and you could do any kind of voiceover um doing the voiceover for having uh, michael j fox oh wow yeah that's a great choice that is a super good choice and then when he takes the mask off it's ryan reynolds that would be <laughs> uh, that would be like an even like a double whammy joke it would be. be good i like that well we've been talking with uh, scott toy guru nightlick here at the uh, from specter creative on youtube and of course spectercreative.com We've been talking about the live-action Masters of the Universe movie. Uh, it's said to be starting filming sometime next year with the Knee Brothers, who just completed their uh, or are out doing the press tour for the Lost City. There's lots of uh, lots of comments coming out there on uh, what it might be. They've given a couple of statements. We certainly here at uh, Phantom Power are excited for uh, what may be. I hope you guys are as well. And I want to send a big, uh, uh, say a big thank you to Scott uh, for coming on the show today and talking with us. I know we had some, <laughs> some tech difficulties that we'll try and get sorted out in, in post. And uh, yeah. Awesome. All right. I will okay. uh, tell you back. This has been a blast as always. Uh, there'll be lots more to come from us here at Fandom Power. So un- until next time, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one, guys. Bye for now. Hey guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.